Hey fellow couch theologians, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that we'll be doing a special Q&A episode at the end of this season, but we need your help. If you think of a question or topic you'd like to hear more about, email us an audio recording of your question to ct5ktheology at gmail.com. Try to keep it short and concise, and if you could, include a transcription of your question in the email. We can't wait to hear from you, and without further ado, let's get into it. today i'm doing good how are you i'm doing fantastic and i would like to welcome you as well as anybody who's listening to this to the episode zero or episode one kind of of the couch to 5k theology podcast yeah yeah so little backstory real quick connor and i have recorded almost half of the entire season as of right now as in the time that we're recording this episode and we realized last time we recorded we haven't done an episode on scripture, and that should probably be the first thing we talk about. Yeah. And I don't think we were even planning to do one on scripture. Not- and we were like, <laughs> well, not only should we do one, but it should probably be the first probably one. Probably be the first one. <laughs> uh, so here we are, kind of retroactively walking back in the process. We've still got several episodes left to record of this season, but I'm, dry- I'm putting this here because in the next episode, you're going to hear us refer to it as episode one, but I want you to understand what, what happened. We recorded that months ago like literally months ago yeah um and so now we're coming back and we're talking about scripture today so um yeah i i would explain the whole thesis of the podcast here but we already do that in the next episode so we're just going to jump straight into it if you want a little refresher on what we're doing here why we're talking about these things you can check out the channel trailer here on spotify or apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this or you can jump over to our social medias i'm at seth in the city underscore and connor is at connor.hedges underscore on instagram look at that i know your handle i know your handle son uh so you can check us out on instagram and i'm sure you can find all kinds of posts and videos about what it is we're doing here um all that being said formalities out of the way we're just going to jump straight into it today how's that sound connor sounds great Awesome. So today we are talking about scripture. We're talking about the Holy Bible. We're talking about the the God's word, which is the King James Version Bible, right, Connor? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. Maybe we'll get to that. Probably not in this episode, but maybe at some point. Maybe Maybe. we'll get to it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, But but we're talking about the Bible. The reason we're talking about it is, as you're going to see in future episodes, it is very much what Connor, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think you would probably agree with me on this. The scripture is what is what we base our faith off of. It is it is what we base probably ninety eight percent of what we believe about God and about people and about the world on. And so when we were having these conversations about theology, we thought, hey, it might be important to actually talk about why that is, right? Right. So what I want us to do today is I want us to focus on two big questions um, to help anybody who maybe is coming to this conversation who doesn't feel the same way about God's word. Maybe that's because they're not a person of faith. They wouldn't identify as a Christian. And so the Bible is this book they've heard about. They've probably seen quoted in movies. Maybe they even grew up reading it, but they don't have the same feelings about it that we do. Or maybe it's somebody who's newer to the faith or who comes from a different faith tradition and just has different feelings and opinions about scripture. So I want us to kind of sure up how we feel about it by answering two questions. First of all, what is the Bible? How do we define what the Bible is? And then is it essential for the Christian faith? And spoiler alert, our answer is yes, but but I want us to talk about kind of some of the main objections that are made today 
both from inside Christianity and outside of Christianity and, and kind of talk through those things and, and how we come to that answer of, yes, it's essential for the Christian faith. So how does that sound, Connor? That sounds good. So let's let's just jump right in. What What is the Bible? Go. Man, that's a broad <laughs> place to start. Um, so first and foremost, it's God's word to okay. us. Yeah. Um, and the Bible, so we're Protestants, right? So we believe the Bible is 66 books that were written by over 40 different authors across three continents over a 1,500 year period of time. Yeah. Um, and they all tell one cohesive story, and that story is the story of redemption. And it's this beautiful artwork because you have historical books such as Kings and Chronicles, but you also have books of poetry like Psalms and Proverbs. And then in the New Testament, you have the Gospels, which are like theologized historical biographies. Uh, that's how uh, Dr. Jonathan Pennington describes them as. And I think that's a good way to look at it. Uh, and they all tell this one story, and it's the story of why God created the world, right? How humanity ruined it, then how God saved it again, and where that destination is heading, or where we're heading after that. Yep. Uh, the, theologians call it the creation, fall, redemption, uh, rest, restoration, or consummation uh, story arc. Uh, and that's the story that it tells us. Okay. That that was good. Just off the dome. That was, man, you just He's like, let me pull out all the notes real quick, yeah. but didn't have to pull them out. They yeah. were just straight there in his head. So I want to kind of walk through that, maybe not necessarily in the order that that you laid it all out, but but I think we're going to hit most of what you just talked about. So let's start with you said we're Protestants. Right. So we are we are the fruits of the Protestant Reformation which happened hundreds of years ago. Um, and in that process, we ended up with a different collection of books than our Catholic primarily or some other um, kind of older traditions of Christianity have in their homes. Um, can you just tell me what the main differences are there? You, you don't necessarily have to run through all the different books, but like, what are the main differences? Why were those decisions made? Uh, and how did how did we get to the the sixty six books that most Protestants would call the Bible? Yeah. So one of the key differences between Protestants and Roman Catholics, as they view Scripture, is the process of canonization. And the difference is that Roman Catholics can make books part of scripture, right? And okay. they have the authorities to decide which ones are and which one aren't, which ones aren't. Protestants don't make books scripture or not scripture. They merely recognize books as scripture. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and how they do that is a few things. They look at the time period that the book was written and how it relates to the time period that it tells us about. So a couple of apocryphal books, uh, some people don't like that word, but that's just historically what they're referred to as. Right. Um, one of them being the Gospel of Thomas, which is a Gnostic gospel. Uh, and it was written in like the late second century. And it tells about the life of Jesus. Well, Jesus lived in like the early first part of the century, of the first century. Yeah. So the people who were kind of in charge of the canonization process said that book is telling us about an event that the author wasn't even alive for. So we can't put that and we can't recognize it as scripture. Um, then if there are books that contradict other books that we know are canon and that we know are true, then the books that contradict those other books don't get put into the canon, uh, and they're not recognized as scripture. Um, and I yeah. want to make just a, a quick a quick note on that for for people coming to this conversation um, who maybe have never even heard about the canonization process, or whether that's because they grew up in a tradition where it just wasn't talked about, because it's probably not talked about in a lot of churches, at least not from the pulpit on a Sunday, um, or or maybe they are new to this faith thing. When when Connor and I are talking about affirming this collection of sixty six books and the canonization, essentially we're we're painting the picture between affirming that there is a list of books that 
God inspired through his spirit to be written. And we're going to talk about inspiration in a minute. Um, and, and there is a criteria that as Protestants, as people who affirm these 66 books, we have said this criteria is good enough to discern what was inspired by the Holy Spirit and what maybe necessarily wasn't inspired to be scripture, which is a step of faith in, in, in the truest of terms. We try really hard in these conversations and you'll hear throughout the season that we want to take this, we want to begin these conversations from a place of just what are the facts? What are the things most people can agree on? This is very much one of those things though, where we have, we've both taken a stance and lots of people have taken this stance to say that this is what we acknowledge by faith, that this process effectively discerned what is scripture. Would you agree with that, Connor? Yes. And so on that step of faith, that's where we're coming from on this. So that this is not in any way to discourage someone who comes from a Roman Catholic background and 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 reads their Bible to say, like, you don't know Jesus because you have extra books in your Bible. But we're saying that where we have come to in our walks with with Jesus, that hey, this is what we acknowledge. And so we're telling you this so that in future conversations you understand where we're coming from in our conversations. Right. Yeah. So with that being said, you mentioned it was written by, there's 66 books that we affirm, and it was written by 40 plus authors over a 1500 year span. Right. How? By the, ultimately it's the, the divine authorship of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, when we talk about the authorship of the Bible, we're quick to say, you know, the scripture is, you know, God breathed and um, you know, inspired by God. And what we don't mean by that is that the authors were inspired by God. That's not what inspiration means. Okay. Inspiration refers to the actual scripture yeah. that was written down. That's God breathed. Um, and another criteria that is looked at when deciding, you know, which books are canon and which ones aren't is, you know, do the New Testament books reference old testament books mm. and recognize them as authoritative yeah and you'll see both paul and what is it first timothy second timothy sure three sixteen. you know the verse i'm talking about uh i think it's first timothy okay it's either first or second <laughs> timothy three sixteen. real scholars yeah talks about how uh all scripture is god breathed and profitable for rebuke rebuke, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Um, and when Paul's talking about that, he refers to the Old Testament. Um, in Luke 24, when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with two other disciples, he recognizes the Old Testament as, you know, authoritative and inspired by God. And because it tells of him, mm. because it tells of the person yeah. of Jesus and how everything's pointing to him, ultimately. Um, so that has to do with the Old Testament, but how do we know the New Testament is inspired? Well, uh, in First or Second Peter, Peter is talking about the writings of Paul, and he says, these along with the other scriptures are uh, inspired and the authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So when he lumps Paul's writings in with the Old Testament, Paul's writings are recognized as inspired. Right. Yeah. And God breathed in scripture. Right. So. Yeah. It's 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 very much that is a big part of the canonization process is this affirmation of of 
that we see in the actual text itself. Right. Of you've got Jesus quoting the Old Testament, you've got Paul quoting the Old Testament. Uh, and and the thing about the Old Testament is was it was not in circulation in a codex necessarily in Jesus' time. Like it, it, they didn't put together those books and and circle them around in like little Gideon New Testament kind of books. But a lot of the scrolls that that we now see that make up the Old Testament were in common use in in the Jewish faith at that time and in synagogues. And, and we read about Jesus going and taking scrolls and reading them and saying, this is talking about me. So those sorts of things are are kind of the 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 big green flags, if you will, as to say, hey, yeah, this, there's something different about this writing than other writings of the time. And because of that, we ascribe authority. And I think authority is one of the big words that that we're going to talk about today. We ascribe authority to these writings to say that they teach us something about God. They teach us something about ourselves. They teach us something about the world we live in or how to be closer to God or how to care for one another. And we do that because we define these writings, and you've, you, you've said it multiple times, as God's word. It's God-breathed. What are we really saying? And and you kind of hit on it, that that what it means, but what are we really saying when we say that, that when I open my leather-bound Bible, and I open to to Psalm 34, that this is God's Word. Yeah, so the term we use for that is the inspiration of Scripture, okay. right? And Wayne Grudem uh, defines it as a term referring to the fact that the words of Scripture are spoken by God. Because of the weak sense of this word and ordinary usage, this text prefers the term God-breathed to in- indicate that the words of Scripture are spoken by God himself. It's true that, you know, Paul wrote the Bible, Moses wrote parts of the Bible, but ultimately God wrote all of it and he is the author of all of it. Yeah. So so that is a that is a big hanging point. And we're going to talk about some object- objections to scripture later on in this episode. But it it brings up some questions. And I think they're fair questions. I think they're really fair questions. It brings up questions about Maybe you've heard the terms inerrancy or infallibility, and we'll break down what those mean. But people come to scripture and they read things that, okay, God spoke this onto paper through through a man's pen. But maybe not everything feels factually correct. Maybe not everything is historically accurate. Maybe, maybe not everything measures up to, to today's modern moral understanding of society. We'll get into some of those issues in a minute. So, how do we? What are what are we saying when we say that God inspired this text? Like, are we saying that God literally gave the words to these people to write? Are we saying that therefore, whatever the Bible says, the Bible says it. I believe it. That's that's the end of it. Like, right. So, like, I don't believe in the diction theory of the inspiration of Scripture, okay. which entails that you know God sat down with somebody basically and told them word for word what to say. Okay. I don't think that's how that went, especially because you can see each author's own personality and uh, style of writing in each of their uh, texts that they wrote. Yeah. Uh, So I would hold to the verbal plenary theory of inspiration, which kind of states that the finished product of the author's work is exactly what God intended it to be. Mm. Uh, and that includes, you know, the purpose, the genre, uh, details that are included, such as dates and names of people. Uh, all of that is what God intended for it to be.
Let's talk about the difference between inerrancy and infallibility. Inerrancy is a word that I definitely grew up with hearing, but never really had like a firm understanding of what I was really saying when I said the Bible wasn't errant. And we kind of had a, a little bit of conversation back and forth before we hit record. And I think today I'd probably fall more in the infallibility camp than the inerrancy camp. So why don't you break down what those two terms mean? Right. So inerrancy is the idea that scripture and the original manuscripts don't affirm anything that is contrary to fact. Okay. So one of the biggest misunderstandings of scripture is that, you know, the Bibles that we have and that we read in English, that those Bibles are inerrant. And that's just simply not what the statement of inerrancy means. Okay. It only refers to those documents that are the original manuscripts. Gotcha. One of the biggest debates between Christians and Muslims is that Christians will say like, oh, well, we believe in a inerrant Bible that everybody can read and it doesn't have to be in, um, you know, the original language for people to understand. Right. Which is true to a point. Uh, it's true that people can become Christians and learn how to behave and learn what to believe by reading the Bible in English. However, it's not true that those English translations are inerrant. Right. It's only the original documents that are. So that's what inerrancy means. And when you and when you say that that they're not in contradiction to anything that is factual. Is this going so far as to say that if scripture says King Nebuchadnezzar died on May 6th, 836 BC, that inerrancy is saying that is absolutely the day he died. And if archaeology discovers something that contradicts that, archaeology is wrong, not the Bible. Right. So with details like that, such as years, names, and dates, uh, and just numbers in general, those things are like really hard to decide. Um you know, like take Jesus feeding the 5,000. Right. I don't think anyone actually believes that it was exactly 5,000 people mm. that were fed. Yeah. Like even the most conservative scholars and pastors will agree that, you know, there were at least, you know, much more than the 5,000 because that number doesn't include women or children. Mm. Yeah. So are we going to say that the Bible's wrong because it didn't include those? I don't think so. Right. Right. Um, and even when, you know, in the old Testament, when it mentions like how many casualties there were, it always rounds up to a certain number. Right. Right. And, you know, is it wrong if, you know, David actually killed, you know, 201 Philistines and not 200. I'm not sure if that's even the number, Yeah. but you know, is it, no, I don't think that's wrong. Right. It, it, like we all know how rounding works. We know how language works like there's this degree of kind of error when it comes to numbers and dates yeah. like that where it's just acceptable because we understand that you know that's not the important part of the message it's kind of like metaphor mm -hmm. and uh simile like yep. we recognize when those things are present so right well and i think you just said something really important and i want to i want to hone in on it, it that's not the, I don't know if you use the word purpose, but it's not the purpose. Right. The purpose of of the scriptures that say Jesus fed the 5,000 is not to say, oh, Jesus fed exactly 5,000 people and that's going to be on the quiz when you get to heaven is how many people did Jesus feed on the hillside? Right. The question is going to be, how who is Jesus? He's the son of God. How did he right. prove that? Well, look what he did with these loaves and fish. Like that's the purpose of the text, right? Right. Uh, amongst other things. Um and because of that, I think that's kind of where I kind of fall more into the infallibility camp, where it's not to say that anything in, in scripture is intentionally misleading, but I think I kind of more, and I don't know that it's like a hard stance that I take, but it's more of, I'm more, I'm so concerned with just what is the purpose of this text? What is it trying to tell me that I, I don't have the brain capacity, like someone like you to, to care about the other parts of it. So walk us through infallibility and what that looks like. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't think we've even defined infallibility. Yet. Yeah. So it's the idea that scripture is not able to lead us astray in matters of faith and practice. Right. So okay. that's what 
I believe as well. But again, I think the difference between us two is that I still fall more on the inerrancy side, um, although it's only to the original documents, yeah, which we don't have. Right. Like even, and that's another important <laughs> distinction. And and I wanted to hit on that is the true definition of inerrancy is to say that the original manuscripts are inerrant, not our translations. Right. Yeah. Um, and and we even don't have the original manuscripts. We just have copy copies of the manuscripts. Right. Um, now we have a lot of the manuscripts, so we're kind of able to have a good educated guess on what those original documents said, but sometimes there's disagreement, but even when there's disagreement, it's never on a part of the new Testament where it teaches about an essential, an essential doctrine or practice, right? right? So when we're contrasting infallibility and inerrancy, like you just broke down for us, um, when we're talking about, it's not contradictory to matters of, of faith and practice. So the way I say it, and this may be completely off base and please correct me if it is. When I think about infallibility and what scripture is, I'm comfortable with saying scripture is true. Scripture, right. scripture is going to point me in the right direction and not even just point me in the right direction. It's going to get me to the right places um, under the, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. But scripture is true. Scripture is never going to misguide me right. when I'm reading it and trying to glean from it what it was intended to tell me. I think what happens though, and again, you can you can jump in if I'm completely off base here. I think what happens though is we try to read scripture for what it's not intended for, and then that's where human error starts to come in. Right. So, you know, if you read the Proverbs, if you read them as anything other than what they're called, Proverbs, Proverbs. then, and you take those statements as a hundred percent true, which they are a hundred percent true, but like empirical yeah. facts and where they're always going to be. Here's where the English right. language breaks down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can use true to mean one thing and true. And we can say true is in factual or true is in like a more ethereal, less concrete kind of true. Right. So if you view them as statements that will never ever ever let you down then you're going to be disappointed mm, yeah um because there's one proverb that says you know train train up a child in the way he should go right and he'll not depart from it it's in the it's painted on a hall probably in your church's preschool room right yeah the problem with that is we all know people who were raised in the church raised by some great parents yeah but departed from the faith right right and that's one of those things that if we take that proverb to mean something that it's not intending to mean, then we come around, come away with bad theology. Well, we take it as a law. Right. Yeah. It's that's not to be that's a law. probably a better, better yeah. word, you know? Um, and I think another great example of that would be the Psalms. I mean, you know, it's another one of those wisdom literature books, but uh, there are certainly people out there who would point to the Psalms and say, well, it's got bad science in it. Well, yeah, because it's not a science textbook. It's it's a book of songs. Yeah. Like we know the earth is not fixed on its foundation. Right. And we know that it does move. But the purpose of the psalmist isn't trying to describe astronomy. It's not giving us an astronomy lesson. Right. You know? That's why we have to realize that the words of scripture are true for the purpose that they're speaking about and to the topics that they're speaking to. Yeah. Right. So identifying that purpose is where the hard work of you know exegesis comes in basically
it's easy in these conversations, I think, for people who maybe who who do, especially don't feel called to ministry or are new to the faith or are just trying or maybe have been around faith for a long time and are just trying to figure this thing out for the first time. It's easy to hear a conversation like this and be like, man, I don't even want to pick up my Bible because I thought it was confusing before. Now I'm even more confused. Right. What would you say to that person? I would say keep the plain things, the main thing, and the main thing, the plain thing. Put it on a pillow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the, what's the main thing? It's the story of redemption. It's yeah. the gospel. Yeah. If you know that, then it's more... Uh, it, it's easy to not get caught up in all those uh, objections and details that may not, that cause a little bit of trouble for us. Um, right. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, it's it's either because we paid you to or because, <laughs> which may be a big chunk of our audience, or it's because you, you are curious, you want to learn more. And it can feel like you're walking, you like you're sitting at the tip of the iceberg and when you start to get this into this conversation about what is scripture, where did it come from, what can we trust, what can we not trust, it can feel like you're being taken immediately to the bottom of the iceberg. But the reality is we have so many great resources. And like you just said, when we focus on the main thing that scripture is to steal from the Bible project, a unified story that leads to Jesus. When we focus on that and we keep that at the top of our, our hierarchy, all the other things become so much less significant that we can sort through, we can cross that bridge when we get to it. You know what I mean? Right. And I, and that's really our goal with this podcast is to help you feel like you can take the first step, the first three steps into, into asking questions and looking for answers so that when you come to a bridge like that, you feel equipped to cross it. Right. And, you know, like keeping Jesus at the forefront of your mind when you're reading any part of scripture, I think is a pretty decent hermeneutic or like a pretty decent way to interpret scripture. Now, some of the church fathers kind of got in some trouble because they allegorized everything in the Bible. Like if there was something about water, they were going to relate it to baptism. If there was something about fire, they would probably relate it to hell. Uh, if If there was something related to wood, they would relate it to the cross, right? Like, I think you can go a little bit too far with that. But for the most part, if you look at characters in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and say, okay, is this describing me or is it more describing the person, the work, and the character of Jesus? Then I think that's a pretty good way to work at it and look at it. Um, and most of the time, I think it'll be pretty clear if it's describing you for, or if it's a picture of Jesus. So, Okay, so Connor, all this discussion, real quick. We've talked about Bible translations. We've talked about how English translations of the Bible aren't 100% perfect. So, Connor, what Bible should I be reading? The one you can understand. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> That's the answer I was looking for. I always tell people what Bible, and this is, I didn't invent this. You'll find it on Pinterest everywhere. What Bible translation should I read? The one you're actually going to read. Yes. If you pick it up and you start reading and you don't stop, keep going with that one. Yeah. And like, there are some translations that I prefer more for study. There are some translations I prefer prefer more for reading. I use some translations as almost like commentaries. Mm. You know, that's yeah. kind of where I lump in the the message and right. the New Living Translation because they're not as word for word, but they still keep that message the same. Yeah. You know, which I can appreciate that. Um. There are some some great resources that break down the the process to which translations came to be and kind of where they fall. And I'll probably link some stuff down in the show notes if you're if you really want to dig deep on that. We may do an episode later on. Maybe if we do a whole season about scripture, we might talk about it. But if you're really interested, you can check out the show notes. Um, but like Connor said, not all translations are created equally. And what's great is if you go on the app store and download the Uversion Bible app, you have access to thousands of translations of scripture for free. Yes. You don't even have to go to christianbooks.com and spend a thousand dollars to get four different translations of scripture. So you can study with this one, be devotional with this one, write a sermon with this. It's all right there on your phone. 
totally yeah. free. So poke around, see what you like, see what you don't like. Like I like the app called Literal Word, uh, okay. and it's like a Bible app, and it's more for I use it for, kind of for Bible study because uh, right now I don't have like a Greek New Testament or a Hebrew mm-hmm. Old Testament, yeah. but there's a little button you can press and it underlines words and you can click on those words and it will tell you what those words are in the original language and mm-hmm. what they mean. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be great for someone who really just doesn't want to take classes of Greek and Hebrew. And I, I think that's yeah. me. He's talking about me, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, again, like you don't need to know Greek. You don't need to know Hebrew uh, to understand the Bible, but you do need to trust that people do know Greek and Hebrew and that they've done faithful work in translating right. the Bible. Right. hundred so. percent. Okay. So let's talk about the second question is, and we've got a little bit of time left here. So I just want to hit these really quick. The second question is, is the Bible essential for the Christian faith? Yes, yes or no? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We agree on that. That's good. This would be, we probably have to kill the podcast here if we, if we said no, here's the objections though. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, zoned out for a second. <laughs> here's the objections though one of the big ones i hear and one of the ones we've talked about for many years is the first century church didn't have the bible right they didn't have a codex which a codex just quick history lesson pre pre jesus pre like printing press and and pre lots of modern technology uh the old testament was circulated in scrolls that were meticulously transcribed by by the jewish community Mm -hmm. then a couple hundred years into the church, maybe not a couple hundred, my, my dates might be off a little here, but sometime into the, the formation of the early church, you have the first codexes that are created. And a codex is kind of like a book. It's not quite a book, but it's a collection of writings that is bound together that can be easily distributed. But I mean, it's not until the Protestant Reformation that the scriptures are widely circulated in readable English for the Western community. And, and so- the church survived for all these years with it mostly being in Greek and Latin. Now they were speaking Greek for a little bit, but then, and then in Latin and it was only being read by the priest and, and Connor, if the first century church didn't have the Bible, why do I have to have the Bible? That's what I want to know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, so something we'll talk about later in a later podcast episode about the church is that the church is logos centric, meaning that it keeps the word of God at the center. Okay. Right. And I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but the Bible speaks of the Word of God as being two different things. Yes, it refers to Scripture, but it also refers to the person and work of Jesus Christ himself. Right. So although they didn't have the New Testament Scripture that we would call you know, the Bible, they knew Jesus, or at least they knew people who knew Jesus. Right. Right. So they knew the Word of God as far as it was needed and sufficient, right? Yeah. So, Although they didn't have scripture, they still had the word of God and they still knew it. Yeah. Um, and people that early on, they didn't know how to read or write. So the word of God was primarily transmitted through word of mouth. Right. Right. So. Yeah. And and what we're primarily talking about here is the ministry of the apostles. Yeah. Of the apostles and then the ones that they appointed, uh, like a Timothy and a Barnabas. And and there were probably countless others that aren't mentioned in scripture of people who knew Jesus and maybe even traveled with Jesus for some time who weren't in the twelve. Yeah. Um, but and then you, you know, you lump Paul in there too. Um <laughs> you know, Paul. <laughs> Paul, yeah, that guy. Um but but like you said, they had they had the physical word there present with them, then they had the apostles, and then later down the line, and like you said, even if they if if we were to take the the original manuscripts and hand them to most congregants of the first century church, they wouldn't have been able to read it anyways. No. So it wouldn't have done them much good. So I think the question that gets brought up, that is that is a fair question that I would even wrestle with a little bit today is they didn't have the scripture and it wasn't necessary for their salvation. Now they mm. had the apostles, they had, you know, the things we just talked about. So what would you say, and you don't have to give a definitive answer to this, what would you say Today, does somebody need to read the Gospels to know Christ in a salvific way? Do they need to hear a a verse of Scripture to know Christ for salvation? See that that's tough. Um, and the only so, the only reason I ask this 
is because I know some people who would say yes right. to this question, but I'm not sure I'm there. Yeah. So I think they, at the very least, need to hear the gospel message. Okay. Because I, I think that's, like, the New Testament, I'm pretty confident in saying, doesn't say everyone has to read a certain thing to be saved. Right. But Paul does say in Romans 10 that, you know, people are saved through the preaching and receiving of the word. Right. And so I think at the very least, you know, that's how one is saved. Yeah. Now, I don't think that, you know, that, you know, person in a far east country or in a, or an isolated island who has never heard the gospel message but still does good things, I don't think that person can be saved. Because if they could, then the best thing we can do for that person is not go there. Because mm. then we give them a choice. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is a much deeper argument. Yeah. But but that is that's one of the big objections is that, you know, the Bible as we have it today is is relatively new to the church. And we ba- I mean, we talked about at the beginning of this episode. We base most of what we believe on it. So if we're gonna do that, we need to have a good argument for for why we're doing that. Right. right. Um, so another objection is just plainly, Connor, there's parts of the Bible I don't like. Okay, there's parts that say things that I don't want to agree with. So what am I supposed to do about that? Yeah, I mean, there's parts of the Bible I don't like. But, you know, if I liked everything, then I would be like God. Yeah. But I know I'm not, you know. Right. If, you know, I think if we agreed with everything in Scripture and we had no problem with with, you know, any part of Scripture and not, nothing made us, like, cringe or... Um, or anything like that, then either we're not reading scripture correctly, we haven't read scripture in a while, Hmm. or uh, you have too high of a view of yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Like, these are God's words, and we are much different from God. So it's only natural that we're going to, um, you know, disagree with some things. But, yeah. you know, if, you know, God says one thing and I say another thing, God's right. And it's not a difference of opinion, but it's a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason I bring this up is I think, you know, one of the the prevailing theories about Jesus, and we talk about this in a later episode, is, well, he was a good moral teacher. He had sure. lots of good things to teach. And and I know people who read a proverb a day who don't believe in Christ, who don't believe in God, who who just think, hey, the book of Proverbs, that's some good wisdom. And they're not wrong, right. but I would say it's good wisdom for a different reason than they would say it's good wisdom. Right. And so it comes back to, like you said, if I disagree with God's word, it's not a matter of my opinion, it's a matter of fact. And we believe that because we believe it's God's word. Right. That's what it circles back to. That's the foundation that all of this is built on, is that if this is really God's word, then yeah, there's going to be bits that I that jive with me really easily, like the Proverbs and the Psalms. But then there's going to be bits that don't jive with me super easily, like the entire book of James. Like that's <laughs> going to jump all over some people. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Right. Martin Luther wanted that book removed. Exactly. Like one of the greatest theologians and you know church and in church history was like, I don't like this book. <laughs> he wanted it gone. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, absolutely. So that so that's a real thing, and and. And as you're wrestling with those things, when you come across those verses and and primarily like not to beat around the bush here, primarily there are going to be verses that have to do with, with things that are big in our culture today, homosexuality and transgenderism, um, any kind of issues surrounding race and social justice. When you're coming across verses that might challenge your ideas on that one way or the other, it's good to wrestle with them. Don't just read past them. Don't just say, oh, well, I don't really understand what that means, or that doesn't really fit the way that I was that I was taught, or I thought the Bible would talk about this. So I'm just gonna go, I'm just gonna go back to John because I like John. Like, be willing to wrestle with those things and look for the answers. Yeah. Um, so the last thing I want to hit on is something that I'm feeling as I'm in student ministry. So I'm starting to relate to the Bible more in this fact is isn't it too old to be relevant? Yeah. Uh I hear that objection a lot. And yeah. I just kind of want to shake my head and laugh. <laughs> Because it's like, you know, if I wrote down on a piece of paper, yeah, Connor and Seth, 
on what what's today's date? July July seventh. Seventh. Recorded a podcast episode on scripture, buried it in the dirt, and two thousand years later someone dug it up. There would be no real grounding for that person to say, this isn't true, just because it's old. Mm, yeah. So same thing with the Bible. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's not true. and yeah. doesn't mean that it doesn't speak to issues we're dealing with with today. Because, you know, frankly, humanity has sucked for as long as they've been alive. You know, like, yeah. like we're, we haven't changed that much. We have more technology, but we still have the same heart. Right. So. Yeah. And I think... I think the the valid side of this argument would be, uh, may, I wouldn't necessarily call it valid, but I think the understandable side of this argument comes from a place of, of let's use, because we're American, we're Westerners, this is our frame of reference, let's use the Constitution. Sure. When the Constitution was written, it was based off of, of a lot of, a lot of like, Greek and Roman understanding of democracy and government and, and had lots of different influences. And it was written, but... The stipulation was put in there that, hey, at some point we're going to need to change this because right. times are going to change and we want this document to evolve with the times. Yeah. And that's why the amendment system was put in. Now, people would argue whether or not it's been effective. That's not what we're here to talk about. That's another podcast that I hopefully will never start. Right. Um, but, <laughs> but why doesn't scripture do the same thing? Because now, some people would argue scripture has done that and has evolved and changed a lot. Again, another podcast that we're not going to do today but but why hasn't scripture evolved and kept up with the times because god doesn't adapt to us you know like it's god's words not ours yeah and he's unchanging so his i guess opinion about things isn't going to change either yeah um now there's always different interpretations that come along throughout the centuries right, right. so recently you know, within the past 200 years, uh, homosexuality has been a huge um, debate within the church. Uh, but that's relatively recent. Right. Um, you know, especially when we think of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm, yeah. Uh, the Old Testament and most Eastern churches would find the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah to be their inhospitality. Mm not any sexual sin. Yeah. Although Jude does include not just their host, their inhospitality but also their sexual sin in there too. Yeah. There's always conversations that are happening that are that are that are evolving. The conversations are evolving and right. they're changing to to meet the the questions of the time. And I think that's okay. I think that like you said, humans we haven't changed much in in terms of our behavior but as technology progresses we have different questions. We have different things that society at large is struggling with. And, and what um, the American church is working through is not what the, the church in China is working through. It's right. not what the church in Ethiopia is working through. It's not what the church in, in Russia is working through, right? Like the, the questions that Russian Christians are probably bringing to scripture are probably vastly different. I think about the questions Ukrainian Christians are bringing to scripture right now are probably vastly different from the questions we're bringing to scripture right now. Right. So our questions change and our points of emphasis change. And that causes us to look deeper, I think, at, at different scriptures and at different facets and different purposes of scripture. But the scripture itself doesn't because the truth is already there. And to what you were saying about, you know, like some scriptures being more relevant at different times, I think that's something you, you said, right? Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. I was, you know, I was thinking of, you know, Romans 15, I think, when it talks about submission to our authorities and government. Mm, yeah. It's like that message is going to hit different for a church in Southeast Asia than yeah. it is here. Right. Uh, partly because, you know, governments in Southeast Asia are probably more like the government in Rome, where mm. the letter was written to, yeah. than it is in the, church in America, you know, right. like we're, we're not under persecution, right? So that message is going to hit a little bit different yeah. there than it will here. And in Galatians, when Paul is talking about freedom, right? You know, people in Southeast Asia are just as free than people in churches in America, as far as what Paul's talking about, Yeah, you know? Right. 
when I'm not talking about civil rights and, you know, uh, women's rights and, and stuff right. like that. I'm just talking about the freedom that Paul is talking about only comes through Christ. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's, I think that's a good place to, to kind of sum up this episode is that as you're engaging with scripture, there's going to be things that are going to stick out to you. There's going to be things that, that speak to you at different times. And to me in my life, and this is something that, that I talk about a lot, not necessarily here, but in conversations I have with people who are asking me questions about my faith, I love scripture. Scripture is where I go to, to find the answers. But what affirms scripture for me is the experience in my life, yeah. is what I've experienced through it and what I've experienced just as a Christian that can only be explained by what scripture is talking about. Yeah. And I don't think anybody will ever experience something that is contrary to what scripture teaches. Right. That's now, a whole podcast right there. Right, now, <laughs> now, like you might experience something that, you know, scripture doesn't necessarily teach on. Yeah. But what scripture teaches on, you will never experience something that is contrary to that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we talked about a lot today. We, we yeah. talked about a lot of stuff. Um, this is a thick opener to this podcast, <laughs> but that's okay because we, the intention is not to get to the the absolute bare root of every situation, but to get the conversation going. Uh, so Connor, thanks for joining me today. It's You're been good. And <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, and thank you everybody for listening. And we will see you guys next in two weeks. Yep. Two in two weeks. weeks. So see you then. Thank you so much for listening to this first ever episode of the Couch to 5K Theology Podcast. Connor and I are super excited about everything we have lined up for this season. So make sure that you're following or subscribed on your favorite podcast app and that you go down into the show notes and follow us on socials as well to stay up to date on the latest news and release dates. Also, if you really want to engage in the conversation, make sure to join our email newsletter. The plan is to send those out in the weeks between episodes to further discussion and continue to build this community. The music you heard at the beginning of this episode and that you're hearing again now was written by Sammy Hong and produced by Gibson Littleton. Thank you so much again for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.